Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. Alberta's police watchdog will investigate the actions of Prince George RCMP more than 20 years ago. Following a series of global news stories, the B.C. government has brought in the outside agency to probe decades-old claims of police harassment of Indigenous girls, along with allegations of an RCMP cover-up. Catherine Urquhart reports. 22-year-old Celine Cadieux died just days before she was due to testify at an RCMP code of conduct hearing into disturbing allegations against RCMP officers in Prince George. Now, more than 20 years after initial allegations were made, an independent investigation will be done by the Alberta Serious Incident Response Team, ACERT. I've been here before and nothing happened, but this this time it feels different, so for everyone's sake, I hope it works. The allegations date back to 2004, when Judge David Ramsey pleaded guilty to sexually assaulting Indigenous girls in Prince George, including Celine, and was given a seven-year jail sentence. Some of those girls also accused a number of RCMP officers of crimes, but they were never charged. And we as a province are now taking the next step, which is to uh, have an outside independent agency do a full investigation. ACERT says it will be doing a comprehensive review of the investigative materials. And until we have reviewed all the materials, a timeline for our investigation cannot be provided. But we are mindful that an investigation needs to be both thorough and also timely. Their investigation follows a scathing report by the RCMP's Civilian Review and Complaints Commission, which determined no one in a position of authority in E-Division reasonably ensured a timely assessment of criminal misconduct or code of conduct breaches, and no one ensured a reasonable investigation was conducted. That report came after Staff Sergeant Gary Kerr filed a complaint. The time has finally come. I'm very pleased, but well, you know, we'll wait and see what uh, comes out of it. I've got confidence that ACERT will do a good job. For Celine's father, Bob Sandbatch, this is a good day, but it is also bittersweet. She had a very kind and loving heart. She loved everyone and, and honestly everything. She loved animals. I always talked about maybe, you know, becoming a vet. This investigation finally happening long after Celine's death and more than two decades after allegations were made against RCMP members in Prince George. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. The RCMP watchdog is investigating how RCMP members deal with protests against logging and pipeline projects. The commission will look into the operations of the RCMP E-Division Community Industry Response Group, which responds to those protests. Demonstrators against old-growth logging on Vancouver Island have alleged excessive force, including pepper spray at close range, as well as shoving and throwing people to the ground. The watchdog will assess if the RCMP followed the law and its own policies when interacting with those protesters.
A devastated mother is speaking out tonight about the loss of her son. Her grief compounded by the shocking circumstances of his death. Vancouver escort Jessica Kane is charged with manslaughter in the case, along with several other charges for allegedly drugging and rob robbing other victims. Romina Dea reports. I still can't even talk about it. It's really difficult for all of us. I can hardly say Dustin's name. Dustin Lefebvre was a doting father of two young boys and a successful businessman with a plumbing and heating company which has operated for over 50 years. Kelly Wright says her son did not deserve to die like this. Oh, it makes me sick. It's, uh, it's sickening. See, they took his phone, his wallet, his credit cards and left him there. Wright says her son was found at his Surrey home February 25th, 2021. Someone called 911 but it was too late. Miss Kane, can I have a word with you? Excuse me? Can I talk to you about the allegations? Vancouver escort 31-year-old Jessica Kane has been charged with manslaughter, administering a stupefying drug and theft in connection to Lefebvre's death. I just want to talk to you about the allegations. Why not? These are serious charges. You don't know the background. We're talking, well, this is why I'm asking you. These are serious charges. We're talking manslaughter, allegations of drugging guys, robbing them. Kane is facing 25 charges dating back to 2021 in relation to multiple alleged victims from across the Lower Mainland. Lefebvre is the only person to die. None of the charges have been proven in court. Kane was released on bail last year, but was back before a judge in January when she was charged with drugging and robbing another man. Once again, she was released on $50,000 bail. Kane was not in Surrey court for her appearance Thursday morning. An application for warrant won't be heard until the 23rd. Just doesn't make sense that she's out, that she's out again. Nothing's happening. They're not. This has been two years now. Like, how long does it take before she's actually in court on these charges? Global News has learned Kane is also under investigation in Alberta. According to sources, Edmonton police homicide detectives were in B.C. in the fall of 2022, and Surrey RCMP visited Edmonton last year. Neither agency is commenting. No charges have been laid in Alberta. Wright vowing to fight for justice for her son. She says she will be in court for the trial. A date has not been set. We miss him every day, every single day. Romina Dea, Global News. A month-long distracted driving blitz is underway across the province in an effort to get drivers to keep their eyes off their phones and on the road. But there appears to be some confusion about what you are and are not allowed to do with a cell phone when you're behind the wheel. Kylie Stanton reports. And I've had one saying, oh, it's a medical emergency. When it comes to excuses, officers have heard them all. I usually ask, well, why aren't you calling 911? Why, why aren't you calling for an ambulance? As part of its month-long education and enforcement campaign to combat distracted driving, ICBC and police are out reminding drivers to leave the phone alone. We just need to get people to stop looking at other things and paying attention on the roads. According to ICBC, since 2018, more than 140,000 distracted driving tickets have been issued in the province. But there's concern that's partly due to the confusion around what exactly is allowed. 
it's very important that everybody be on the same page when it comes to understanding what the distracted driving law is. Kyla Lee, a lawyer specializing in driving offenses, took issue with an informational video ICBC shared on social media, claiming that having your phone loose in the vehicle or on the seat beside you is illegal. I was incredibly frustrated since 2019 that the law has been clear from the BC Supreme Court that you are allowed to have your phone on your passenger seat. The catch? You just aren't allowed to touch or look at it. ICBC has since deleted the video and this one, complete with an apology, has been posted in response. We should have been clear that when you are driving it's against the law to use your phone when it's in your hand on your lap or beside you. Okay, let's talk about the law around distracted driving. But appearing on CKNW's Mike Smith show to discuss the mistake, ICBC's road safety program manager only created further confusion. What if I put the vehicle in park while I'm at the red light? That is okay. Really? If you're not... Are you, are you traffic, sure? Are you sure? I believe that's true. For the record, it's not. And if those who help make the laws don't know what they are... Your cell phone, what's going on with it? Why is it loose? It's no wonder those enforcing them are getting it wrong as well. Well, it either needs to be in like your center console there in the glove box or on a mount that doesn't obstruct your vision or controls of the vehicle. Kelly Stanton, Global News. Drivers who are caught will receive a $368 fine. Every ticket also adds four penalty points to your record. Drivers with four or more points at the end of a 12-month period will also be charged a driver penalty point premium, which is a minimum of $214. And drivers with more than one distracted driving ticket in three years will also have to pay the premium. Well, the province is announcing the opening of a number of new safe homes for women and children fleeing violence. But advocates for those families say the need is far greater than what's available. As Richard Zussman reports, the lack of housing is forcing some women to make a terrible and potentially dangerous choice. A sign of progress. New transition housing built for women fleeing domestic violence. There are challenges in the way for some of these projects to move forward, but many of them are actually moving on time. But it's a pace nowhere near keeping up with demand. In the province's 2018 housing plan, 1,500 domestic violence transition beds were promised. The province says 868 of those are open or underway, but only 188 of those actually completed. An additional 181 are scheduled for completion by the end of June. We want to make sure that folks know that you are not alone, that support services are available to you, um, but there is a need for more capacity uh, to ensure that there's a safe place and safe support services for everyone who calls. Intimate partner violence has gone up each of the last seven years, leading to the BC Society of Transition Houses requesting funding for an additional 1,500 units to keep up with the demand. That was rejected. The organization recently completing a service census, finding in just one day, 571 women and children were turned away BC-wide because there was no space available. If they don't have anywhere to go um, and they're forced to stay in their home with their abuser, then uh, this government is failing them. Compounding the problem, a lack of housing for those actually able to get into a transition space. Just 4% of women able to find a long-term affordable home, 21% finding permanent housing, 
but often beyond their financial means, and a staggering 75% remain temporarily sheltered or feel they need to return home to their abusive partner. Risk is, uh, is potentially lethal if folks can't find uh, safe support and shelter immediately. That risk supported by reality. Last year alone, 24 women in B.C. murdered by an intimate partner. Richard Lissman, Global News, Victoria. It has been a frustrating day for people in the Fraser Valley who rely on public transit to get to work or school. Buses are not moving as unionized drivers and staff walked off the job for a planned three-day strike, shutting down almost all service between Hope and Abbotsford. Imadagahi reports. Throughout the central Fraser Valley Thursday, the sun came up, but the buses stayed parked. Their operators not behind the wheel, but instead picketing. We need the company to take us seriously and come to the table with a fair offer. These drivers and their employer, BC Transit, have been locked into an escalating labor dispute for weeks. Now the union has decided to play its next card, stopping service for three days. With the exception of Handy Dart, transit users in Abbotsford, Agassiz, Mission, Chilliwack and Hope will need to find alternative ways to get around. I had no clue. Getting the mission will be hard, especially since, you know, there's no other way out there other than taxi. That's way too much money. So, um, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's going to be a bit of a headache. We apologize for this inconvenience, but uh, you need to understand that your transit operators are struggling big time financially. Drivers say they deserve better pay, improved working conditions and a pension arguing other drivers in the region are compensated more fairly. We're making 32% less than people in all the communities surrounding us. You know, you go to Aldergrove or Langley and they're making 32% more than us. And they're doing the exact same job. I love my job. I love the community I work for. But uh, to be honest, uh, this job is not paying my bills at the moment because uh, there is a huge uh, wage difference between us and other drivers in the region. In a statement, First Transit, the contract company employed by BC Transit says it made a fair offer last week and remains open to negotiations. Meanwhile, the union representing drivers says it won't bargain through the media, instead setting March 20th as their next deadline for a deal before further job action. Imadagahi, Global News. Automakers are loading cars with sophisticated software that's supposed to make them more secure. But a Vancouver Tesla owner says he accidentally found a flaw in the system, which allowed him to mistakenly drive a car that wasn't his. How it happened, next on the News Hour. BC women on a full throttle adventure through the Sahara Desert, coming up on the News Hour. Plus, keeping track of the crashes near Yak, why this stretch of highway has such a dangerous reputation. That's still to come. Right now, though, quite a shock for a couple of Tesla owners this week when they accidentally swapped vehicles. It seems one driver unknowingly got into the wrong car using his Tesla app as the key. And as Paul Johnson reports, while both drivers were able to share a laugh over the mix-up, they have some questions for Tesla. Like a lot of drivers, Rajesh Randev has acquired a taste for Teslas. And Teslas apparently have a thing for him, white ones in particular. I like it, but um, 
until I found some glitch day before yesterday. The Vancouver businessman says he got the car last year. He and his family were enjoying its high-tech features and the savings on fuel. But then Tuesday afternoon, in a rush to pick up the kids from school, he noticed something strange. I, I start driving it. I noticed there was a crack on the windshield. And then I called my wife. What happened to the windshield? Then came a series of texts from a number he didn't know. Next message was, you are driving the wrong Tesla car. And indeed he was. And what happened was, I think there was two cars, Tesla cars, which are parked side by side. And because I was in a hurry, and then I jumped into somebody's car. Well, that's a harmless mistake. What worries Randev is why the Tesla app on his phone was apparently able to unlock another man's car, let him start it up, and then drive all over East Vancouver. His understanding is the whole point of Teslas is they're smarter than that, and he tried to contact them. I was surprised one, like a few of their emails bounced back. As of Thursday, no one from Tesla had gotten back to him, and we didn't fare much better. Reaching out to their press office, we got the same response. Sorry, mailbox full. I was surprised how I was able to drive somebody else's car by mistake. Your car is safe? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. You know, everything yeah, is okay? Yeah, yeah. The other Tesla owner appeared more bemused than alarmed, as were the Vancouver police who apparently declined to issue a case number, only advice to watch what happens next, which for Randev is hopefully an explanation from Tesla HQ. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. A Canada Post depot in Nanaimo is the first in the country to go all electric. Canada Post operates one of the biggest fleets in the country. Its vehicles traveled 105 million kilometers in 2021 alone. That leaves the company with a major carbon problem. So it's investing a billion dollars in the coming years with an ambition to electrify half its national fleet by the year 2040. Well, a lot of families will be jetting off soon for spring break, and YVR is reminding passengers to plan ahead. Between March 10th and 24th, officials are anticipating more than 880,000 passengers will travel through Vancouver International Airport. That's around 88% of pre-pandemic levels. Busiest days of travel are expected to be the 15th and 24th. And the most popular destinations include Toronto, Los Angeles, Honolulu and Cancun. YVR is encouraging anyone heading to the airport to use technology to their advantage, including the U.S. Customs Mobile Passport Control app, YVR Express and the ArriveCan app. Just ahead, no ER access at the start of spring break. Why the ER at Nicola Valley Hospital will be temporarily closed. Plus... Former employees at the Cloverdale Rodeo who say they endured all kinds of human rights abuses will finally get to tell their story next. Still a slow go for southbound traffic out of Vancouver to the Knight Street Bridge due to some emergency repairs and the right lane being closed. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above the Knight Street Bridge. 
A federal court judge has approved a $2.8 billion settlement between the Canadian government and plaintiffs representing 325 First Nations. First Nations leaders and the federal government first announced the multi-billion dollar agreement in January. It seeks to address some of the harms done by Canada's residential school program, including the loss of language and culture. As part of the deal, the plaintiffs agreed to, quote, fully, finally and forever release the Crown from claims that could arise from the harms residential schools inflicted, as alleged in a previous court filing. It will not, however, cover any claims that may arise over children who died or disappeared while attending the schools. An initial payment of $200,000 is expected for all 325 First Nations, which will allow them to create a 10-year plan for how they want to utilize the funds. A human rights complaint against the Cloverdale Rodeo and City of Surrey has been given the go-ahead by the B.C. Human Rights Tribunal. For the first time, we're hearing details about the allegations. And as Paul Hasem reports, the complainants will soon reveal even more in a hearing. The fairgrounds at the Cloverdale Rodeo have sat empty since 2019, but a human rights tribunal has ruled there's nothing empty about the allegations against former rodeo general manager Mike McSorley. We're very pleased, all of us associated with this uh, complaint, that the process is moving forward. In July of 2021, 20 former workers filed the complaint against McSorley and the Cloverdale Rodeo and Exhibition Association, claiming a toxic work environment. It's quite disturbing. Uh, any taxpayer in the city of Surrey should be alarmed by what the, the allegations are. The tribunal's decision to proceed making allegations public. One reads, between 2012 and 2021, McSorley was permitted to poison the work environment with his blatant racism, ableism, sexism, and threatening demeanor towards women, people with disabilities, and racialized people. Global News spoke to McSorley about the allegations in 2021. I know a couple of times I threw paper towel and it hit her instead of the garbage. I giggled. I was stupid. McSorley is not the only person named. Much of the allegation claims the board, including city-appointed members, failed to address this behavior. The association and the city of Surrey would not provide a comment, but former councillor Jack Hundal says it speaks to systemic issues at the rodeo and the city. Really hatred geared towards not only women, racialized minorities, uh, Aboriginal, and this includes not only staff, but also volunteers. I find it a little infuriating that even after all this time, with all the information that was uh, provided at the time initially, uh, how the city has somewhat dragged its feet. The rodeo has a new GM and its first female president, but with six named complainants and multiple witnesses, Balance believes there's more people affected. If you've thought about coming forward and haven't at this point, we urge you to do so. The tribunal hearing will happen later this year, while the Cloverdale Rodeo is slated to return May 19th. Paul Heeson, Global News. Up next, a road with a bad reputation. You can't fix stupid. How residents living near Yak are getting tired of all the crashes. And a dramatic high-rise rescue in downtown Vancouver. Big delays for eastbound traffic along Marine Way out of Burnaby to the Queensboro Bridge is an alternate route to the Knight Street Bridge, which is experiencing lane closures due to problems. BCAA members safe.
three per liter off fuel at Shell, plus 10% off in-store purchases and car washes. Conditions apply. Visit shell.ca slash BCAA. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Marine Way and the Queensboro Bridge. Residents of a small community in southeastern B.C. say they're fed up with crashes in the area. The hamlet of Yak sits on the main highway between Cranbrook and the rest of the province. It's a popular route for trucks. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, residents say they've had it speeding through. Still cleaning up from the last time a truck lost its load here. Crews sucking up diesel fuel spilled in the ditch. Residents in Yak are fed up with careless drivers, making their small community less safe. You can't fix stupid. There's no excuse for the people not making this corner here. It's totally ridiculous. Over the years, there have been countless rollovers, spills, and jackknife trailers. Residents say there have been five crashes since the start of the year, including two at the end of February. The highway speed through Yak is already reduced to 60 kilometers an hour. And the recommended speed is 30 kilometers an hour on two tight corners leading to a bridge across the Moye River. According to residents, drivers either ignore the warnings or overestimate their skills. Maybe both. I would like to see the government actually approach this and come up with a something to uh, remedy this uh, before somebody is actually killed. The Ministry of Transportation is well aware of this problem area. In a statement, says the Commercial Vehicle Safety Enforcement Team is monitoring the situation and will focus on speed. The ministry is reviewing other possible safety improvements, including permanent digital messaging signage. Maybe a deterrent would be an, an, an RCMP presence on a regular basis. Transport trucks use this corridor to go both east-west on Highway 3 and north-south on Highway 95 to the border. Residents want some assurances that their community will continue to be safe, even as the volume of trucks on the road is getting heavier. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, being a window washer on a Vancouver office tower can be heart-stopping at the best of times and more so when something goes wrong like it did this afternoon as two workers became trapped when their platform froze midway up a new building at Georgia and Homer right across from the library. Members of Vancouver Fire Rescue had to rappel down from the top to where the workers were, then lower them to a landing below. The design of the building posed a particular challenge for rescuers. As you can see from the, the layout at the, at the exterior, where it's not just a flat surface to it, so it's adding that next layer of complexity. And our, our highly trained crews are able to overcome that by they went to the, the top of the building, were able to overcome those challenges from the exterior layout and get down to those people who were uh, basically on an immobilized platform. Thankfully, no one was hurt in the incident. The workers were stranded for about an hour. Well, staffing issues mean once again the ER at Nicola Valley Hospital will be temporarily closed. Interior Health says the emergency room in Merritt will be shut down between 8 a.m. Friday and 8 a.m. Saturday. Those needing emergency services during that time will have to access care at Royal Inland Hospital in Kamloops. Last month, the ER was temporarily closed three times. The B.C. company that made national headlines after claiming to have government approval to sell cocaine is now facing a potential class action lawsuit. The suit was filed on behalf of investors who bought shares in Adastra Labs between February 22nd and March 3rd. 
The 22nd was the day Adastra put out a press release making the claim of commercial cocaine sales and sending its stock price soaring. The company retracted that statement on March 3rd and the stock price plunged. The suit is alleging Adastra publicly misrepresented legally sell cocaine, which artificially inflated its stock price. Still ahead, women who race. I've never driven in sand. I've driven in a lot of snow being Canadian. The BC team going far beyond where the road ends later. And Canada's women's soccer team goes to Ottawa, challenging federal politicians to play fair. One third of Canadian children are at risk of going to school every day on an empty stomach. And being hungry makes it harder for them to learn. That's why Global News is partnering with Toonies for Tummies to provide nutritious meals to children in need in your community. Please donate today. Well, when disaster strikes in B.C., more and more it will be women, specifically First Nations women, on the front lines providing help. Our Julie Nolan is in Kamloops, where people from across the province are attending an emergency preparedness boot camp. When I go like this, that's actually turning the trailer brake on and off manually. These are driving lessons of a different kind. Oh, one cone. Oops. <laughs> Good job. Good job. First responders are learning about driving emergency vehicles and trailers at this week-long boot camp in Kamloops. The guys treat us as equals, too. There's, uh, we have a great crew. We started with... 20-some people last year, and we are up to 50-plus staff, and almost half are Indigenous women. You're starting to see more and more, more and more firefighting, more and more in response. They're great at taking roles in leadership, right, planning and coordinating. Um, those are all great skills that women add to this. Put on by the First Nations Emergency Services Society, or Finesse, this training helps First Nations to equip themselves. Our gutter mount sprinklers, the extra fuel lines. With the knowledge and tools to protect their land and their people in the event of a natural disaster. Every nation needs this. Every First Nation needs this uh, in their own community to promote safety, right? To be prepared to um, respond to those events in a safe manner for their community how best to prepare ourselves so we're all trained and all running off the same page so when emergencies do come about uh, we know how to respond quickly and efficiently. I missed that cone, did you see that? <laughs> For now it's about supporting one another and bonding. We're all friends, we're friends, we golf together, we play ball together so working together just comes naturally. Hoping to inspire other Indigenous women to follow their lead. You couldn't find anyone better in the province to train us Indigenous women. <laughs> Not fast foot. <laughs> Julie Nolan, Global News. All right, time to bring in meteorologist uh, Christy Gordon with a look at our weather forecast. What a beautiful day it was, Christy. Can we have more of that, please? Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Unfortunately, not really the uh, case. Sophie, we will see a bit of sunshine over the next little while, and particularly tomorrow. But we've been talking about this upper level low that's sitting just off the coast that's going to track south of the border. Now, we've bringing in, it brings in the potential for rainfall in Metro Vancouver, but it looks like we're actually going to be saved a little bit tomorrow with that uh, sunshine and this tracking just south and sort of impacting areas further east of us. So let me show you the track of the current computer model. So as we head into tomorrow morning, 
morning. We do have a slight chance of showers across Metro Vancouver, particularly those of you in the Fraser Valley will see it and across Vancouver Island. The flurries, though, are anywhere east of Cope. So if you're traveling the mountain passes, expect flurries. It's not consistent snowfall, but it will come and go. And we're talking about two to four centimeters throughout the day tomorrow and again tonight. It is going to shift into the Kootenai region in particular. So uh, areas like Nelson, uh, Castlegar, you can expect snowfall certainly throughout the day tomorrow, whereas it will be much more spotty in other regions and certainly a drying trend expected in through the southern interior uh, with the bulk of the flurries by the afternoon hours more along the mountainous regions. But that chance of showers along the mountains, or I should say flurries for the mountain passes, continues throughout the day on Saturday. So even Saturday, we're expecting snow on those mountain passes. Meanwhile, for the south coast area, we may see some breaks of blue sky, but we do still have a chance of showers. So here's your Friday forecast, everyone. A sunshine across the north. So in the interior from Prince George down and through the Caribou, but it's further south of Kamloops that cloud and a few flurries will push in. For our region, a mix of sun and cloud. Wet flurries possible overnight across the metro or Vancouver Island, higher elevation regions. For Metro Vancouver, the chance of showers is mostly through the Fraser Valley for tomorrow. Metro Vancouver has a very slight chance, but generally tomorrow I think we'll be in the clear. By tomorrow evening, though, showers will push in, and we are expecting showers on Saturday and into our Sunday. Don't forget, we change our clocks on Sunday. We uh, lose an hour of sleep, and we are expecting rainfall on Monday tonight. Central windows, weather window, I absolutely love. This is from last night. We actually had a thunderstorm move up from the south, and it weakened as it made its way over the lower mainland. This is looking out over the Quadra Island region as it has continued to weaken, and you can see the rain, downpours of rain there off in the distance. So thank you to Rowan for that in the Campbell River area. Sophie, back to you. That is beautiful. All right, thanks, Christy. Mm -hmm. Members of the Canadian women's soccer team are taking their fight from equity to Parliament. The team's captain and all-time leading scorer, Christine Sinclair, along with three of her teammates, testifying in front of the House Standing Committee on Canadian Heritage. The team has been locked in a dispute with Canada's soccer over pay equity and fair treatment. And say the situation hasn't improved since the appointment of former Olympian Charmaine Crooks as the organization's interim president. Being females, we appreciate uh, seeing Charmaine in a, a position. Um, however, she has been part of, you know, the higher ups in Canada soccer for a long time, and during her tenure, she has shown nothing to the women's national team that proves that she's there fighting for us. Well, it seems as good a time as any then to bring in Squire Barnes for a look ahead at sports. Well, I mean, I'm a big proponent of bringing a whole new board. Yeah. Open the books. Let's see what's going on. Let's see where all the money goes. Let's see how we can fix things. And let's bring in new people and um, start fresh. Feels like transparency. Well, the, I mean, I think the players, both men's and women's, deserve that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we'll talk about uh, Whitecaps soccer from last night. They were big winners. Also, the Canucks. The toughness of Quinn Hughes will be discussed by JT Miller. And coming up later, a race across the scorching desert. How longtime friends from BC added this insane challenge to their bucket list.
What did you just say to me? You feel short? Yeah, I feel short. I can fix that. Hold, no, 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 I'll fix it. How do you feel now? Less short. Excellent. Okay. I mean, I am short, so. Well, so am I. There's that. I feel a little bit shorter than I did a few seconds ago, but anything for you. Galus is not here, so we feel not We have to be even. Trouble. That's right. We're even. <laughs> the two of us make up one Chris Galus. That's true. There we go. Uh, the Vancouver Whitecaps scored the first goal of the game last night against Real España, but this time they scored four more goals after that. Now, that was one of their problems in their first two league games. They got the first goal, but they couldn't get any more, and they lost 2-1 both times. But last night, 5-0 over the team from Honduras. It's the first of two games against Real España. That starts Champions League. And best of all for the Whitecaps, five different players scored those goals. First of all, I'm happy in the year and a half of tenure that I have. We never scored five goals. It's the first time. He'll play it well. And here he is serving it up from the corner. The header is in! Tristan Blackman gets Vancouver. We are right. We are there. Like what we've seen in, even against Salt Lake here. A lot of players had a lot of great chances. And uh, if we would have scored more than one goal, it would have been multiple goal scorer too because it's not with the same player that they had the same chance so yeah that's the kind of uh, hopefully the idea that uh, we arrive in creating in that position because of the way of playing it's not relying to one player to make the a magic great night for ryan gold too as i said earlier he set up more people last night than match.com uh, one thing that hasn't changed no matter who's coaching the vancouver canucks is the realization that quinn hughes might not be very big to look at, but he's a huge part of the Canucks. And his toughness equals players much larger than him. Last night he played 25 and a half minutes. He probably would have played more, but he had to take some time off because he took a puck right in the face. And he gets hit in the face more than anybody I've ever seen, but he's, he's a warrior, really. I mean, he plays 25 to 30 every single night in all situations and plays through everything. So he's... Uh, a lot of times he's our best player. He's, you know, he's really taken a lot of strides in the leadership category with, on this team. You know, he's such a big part of our group, and uh, he's one of the better D-men in the league. Let's go to the BC Boys 4A Championship. Vancouver College fans watching their team take on Fleetwood Park. Fleetwood Park in the dark uniforms, and that's uh, Aaron Uppel. Nice basket right there. But how about this? Isher Singh Sarai flying, dunking. Too much for the Irish, although they do get a nice three-pointer here from Aiden Lear as Fleetwood Park moves on to the final four. Oak Bay beat Abbotsford 95-77, so they are also in the semifinals. There are two more quarterfinal games later on today. Uh, the BC Boys 4A basketball tournament, like the girls' tournament at 4A or any level really, features schools from all over the province. One of those that usually makes the trip is Mount Baker from Cranbrook, who are always underdogs, but... They always give themselves a chance by reaching this tournament more than most schools ever have. All we need is a run right here. Good stops, we go on a run. Okay, the buckets are going to come. This is Mount Baker's 31st appearance at the BC High School Basketball Championships. That's fourth most all time. An impressive number to be sure. But their best finish at the tournament is ninth place twice, meaning they've never won their opener. Mount Baker is typically seated 16th in the 16-team tournament and gets the unenviable task of playing the number one seed. And that was the case again this year when they got thumped 116-52 to by Semiamu. 
I didn't expect a ton in that first game. Um, I, I knew that we were going to get hit with that shell, shell shock factor. So um, it's really just getting our, our feet under us, right, and getting our feet wet and, uh, and getting used to playing at this size of a tournament. And then the, look for the extra pass. Go with them too, right? The Wild know the score when it comes to this tournament. It's less about results and more about the process of improving and soaking in a once-in-a-lifetime experience for these kids. The big arena is really cool to be in. It's almost like you're playing like in front of so many people, even though there's not many people in the crowd for some of the games. But yeah, it's just it's a lot different than what we've been playing this year and what we've been playing our whole life. I'm not looking specifically at wins and losses. I'm looking for progression. I'm looking for growth. I'm looking to show that we belong at this tournament, and, and there's a reason why we're invited. But they aren't just happy to be here, even though they are. There's a real pride representing the East Kootenai. We did a big fundraiser the weekend, actually, before coming here for that purpose, to, to show the community involvement and get people out. We had a home tournament to where we did some fundraising, and, and we filled the gym, right? So... Uh, they're aware, they know, they're watching us, they're, they, they've got us on the, on the stream, so um, they're definitely supporting us from back home. Okay, this is the famous 17th at the TPC Sawgrass Players' Championship, and this is Hayden Buckley. He finished one over par today, but that almost doesn't matter because he did this on the most famous hole on the course, and one of the most famous holes in golf. Uh-huh. That lake around this green have swallowed a lot of golf balls from a lot of great players, but not this one. Wow. The only thing swallowing that one is the hole itself. And how about uh, Adam Svensson? Had a good day today, although he didn't have a great finish. He bogeyed the 18th. This is the 18th, but he's four under par. He's only four back of the leader, Chad Ramey. Uh, Adam Hadwin was minus one. Nick Taylor plus two suspended. So uh, there are still players to finish round two. Round one make that, and then they'll start round two tomorrow. All after right. they finish round one. Thank you, Squire. You're welcome. Up next, the ultimate joyride. Two BC women seeing the Sahara the hard way. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you by JM Media. Visit jmmedia.ca. Jordan Armstrong is here with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, an early start to spring break for students and staff at Walnut Grove Secondary and asbestos is to blame. A note to parents says a flood last week damaged the drama room. Air testing was done and based on the results, students were dismissed at noon today and they will not be back tomorrow. We'll have more at 11. Plus, we'll hear from the mayor of Merritt. He's not happy about the latest closure of his community's emergency room. He points out it's happening on the eve of spring break and with snow in the forecast. Sophie? All right, thanks for that, Jordan. Two BC women have teamed up for the adventure of a lifetime, racing across the Sahara Desert in Morocco. As Jay Durant reports in This is BC, they've got their eyes on the prize as they hit the road, or sand, on day one. Ten days driving across the Sahara Desert. Not exactly the type of adventure a pair of BC women ever expected to sign up for. I've never driven in sand. I've driven in a lot of snow being Canadian. I think her husband thinks we're crazy, but, you know, I think a lot of people think we're a little out there for this one. Myra Van Otterloo and Jessa Arcuri are part of the annual all-women's rally, traveling for a week and a half through some very tricky terrain that presents all kinds of hazards. 
maybe you could roll the vehicle and get disqualified, or maybe you didn't get stuck for a couple hours until somebody comes by and you hopefully get a tow out or you dig yourself out. Le rallye Aisha des Gazelles du Maroc. The rallye Aisha des Gazelles has been supporting Moroccan villages in some remote areas, building homes and schools with used water bottles, and offering free medical care provided by the team of doctors and nurses set up for the rally. The social impact helped convince Jessa and Myra, who are ready for every challenge involved. This is probably going to be one of the toughest things that I've done. A true test for every team in the field. You're using your, your brain and your body and you're, you're being physical and, and you're making some really risky decisions at times. It's a lot of teamwork and Jess and I have been friends for years, so it's perfect for us. I expect a lot of laughs. I expect a little bit of frustration. Myra's competitive nature has her aiming for a top five finish. But making it all the way through will still be the ultimate reward for these rally rookies. I'm not thinking if I can't, I'm thinking about the celebratory end at the end and just thinking, gosh, this is going to be a story that I'm going to be able to tell my grandkids. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, don't forget to email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. One of them is, a, I believe, a vice principal at a school in Penticton. The other one is a commercial helicopter pilot. So the vice principal is going to have quite a what I did for spring break story to share yeah. with her the students. The kids are going to be super impressed. I don't know where you guys are. Oh, there you are. Yeah. I'm here. Okay. We were here. The kids we would be super impressed oh, to hear yeah. that. Oh, yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. She's going to be the one sharing her spring break story for sure, not the kids. All right, final word on <laughs> weather, Christy. Sure. It looks like Metro Vancouver will be spared the bulk of the rainfall south and east of our region. So the Fraser Valley tomorrow, you can expect some rainfall. Uh, keep in mind, the system could just drive a little further north and we'll see the rain. But I'm hoping for sunshine. Don't forget, snowfall on the mountain passes tomorrow and Saturday. We're all hoping for sunshine. All right, that's all for us tonight. Thanks for joining us. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.